Uh, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. I'm Nathan Lear. I'm joined with my co-host Glenn Fairburn. Uh, Glenn, it's been a, a week or so since our last podcast. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. I suppose every week you slowly adapt to isolation, working from home. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, look similar. It's good to good to see. Um, generally speaking, you know, the government seems to be doing all the right things, getting you know, slowing the spread down, and fingers crossed, we're uh, a little bit closer to getting back to our normal lifestyles. But who knows how far away that will be? What do you miss the most about being in isolation? Yeah, I've been asked that a few times actually, and I always find it hard to answer that because I think it's a combination of a number of things. Uh, you know, just having the freedom to go out, you know, for a nice a nice dinner, go get a coffee, sit at a cafe type type situation, or go to the footy. Like we love our AFL. There's no, obviously no footy. Just seeing your friends and family in the person uh, and physically, um, they're probably the main things. Yeah. yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty similar, mate. It's probably. Um... Yeah, I think the freedom's a big one. Like, it's what you take for granted, I think. You know, just even in winter, you might find yourself spending a lot of time at home, but I think it's just the freedom to, if you want to go out, you can. Um, definitely the sport. I mean, I think most of us will be missing sport on the TV at the moment. Uh, even today, it was a pretty chilly morning. I was sort of uh, thinking, gee, it would be great to get a bit of a winter escape this year. That's probably unlikely as well. But yeah, you know, friends and family, just catching up socially with, with people, that's probably, they're probably the main things that you miss. But, you know, I suppose it's unfortunate you've got to go through it, but it, it, it probably brings it to the service a little bit and shows you how, you know, you take these things for granted a lot. For sure. All right, Glenn, we'll get into the podcast. So today we're going to talk about the, so the early release scheme that was announced um, in terms of superannuation uh, as a result of, COVID-19. So, so basically the, the government has announced a number of measures and um, a lot of them are aimed at businesses. But in terms of um, this one we're going to talk about, it's aimed at individuals and their superannuation. Uh, so if, if they qualify, um, they're eligible to withdraw uh, some of their superannuation money early to assist, you know, they're having financial hardship, basically. So Glenn, I think you had a little bit of information on the, on the, you know, the amount and the criteria. So I'll hand over you to explain that. Yeah, look, this measure was probably one of the first um, financial measures announced by the government, wasn't it? It was, it was before a lot of the large sort of stimulus payments that a lot more people have probably become aware of and, and become eligible for. But um, as you were saying, it just provides early access to superannuation. So um, if you're eligible, you can withdraw up to $10,000 uh, before 30th of June um, and then a further $10,000 between the 1st of July this year and 24th of September. So really over the next, I mean, we're in May now, so over the next couple of months, there is the capacity that those eligible, um, those that are eligible could withdraw up to $20,000. Um, there are some conditions, though, that you need to satisfy in order to be eligible. One of those is that you have to either be um, unemployed. So if you're unemployed, then you can obviously go forth and withdraw some money out of super. Um, if you're eligible for a JobKeeper payment or, or youth allowance or parenting payments, any of those sort of payments. Um, but also if on or after the 1st of January this year, if you were either made redundant, if your working hours were reduced by 20%, or if you're a sole trader or in your own business, um, there was a reduction in your turnover of 20% or more. So they're the three 
levels of um, criteria that you need to satisfy. Not all of them, but one of those um, in order to be eligible. So it's pretty broad. And you'd say that a lot of people are probably um, falling into that eligibility criteria, would you think? With yeah, yeah. look, I think they, they, the government probably made it quite, quite broad in that regard to give people the option because, uh, I mean, this is such a such a widespread uh, issue affecting so many people. So I think they probably didn't want to make the criteria too tight. Um, so in, in terms of the, the take up of it, maybe I'll just run through a couple of figures. Um, so around um, 855,000 payments totaling $7.1 billion uh, have been made from super funds to individuals by the end of April um, is reported that they're the numbers. So it's quite, I mean, we're talking quite, quite a big amount, $7 billion. Um, yeah, it's quite significant, isn't it, Glenn? Yeah, look, it is. And there's, there's been a lot of discussion around whether it's a good policy or, or a bad policy, whether people should be doing it or whether they shouldn't be doing it. And I suppose we'll, we'll touch on some of those today. But yeah, it's, a, it's a, a definitely a big chunk of money. I mean, I'm not quite sure how much superannuation assets Australia's got at the moment, but I suppose it'd be in excess of a, a trillion dollars from, from last reports, I think. So look, whether it's 7%, 5%, it's still a pretty big chunk of money um, being sort of drawn out of the superannuation system. So, I mean, when clients have asked me, it's, I find it a really difficult one to answer as to whether it's the right thing for people to do, because I think a dollar today is always generally worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So if you're in severe financial hardship, then, you know, in, and you see that that, pot of money could be made available to you to help ease some financial stress, then you can't, I suppose, blame the number of people that have that have gone down that path, can you really? Yeah, look, it's, yeah, I haven't had a lot of clients asking me about it or wanting to do it, but yeah, look, I tend to agree with what you said. If, if you kind of need access to it, that's what it's there for. So you definitely wouldn't want to stop someone. But what, what are your thoughts on, I have heard of, I mean, let, let's say you have a drop in, income and you, and you quite quickly get it back and so you meet the criteria to, to yeah. access it but let's say you don't need it um obviously that's not what it's intended to do what what, what would be your, your advice to anybody that kind yeah, of has I just, an opportunity to get it out and, and and grabs it i just think it should be a last resort i mean superannuation as a as a structure has been set up to provide for your retirement so i, I think a lot of us go into it knowing that you know nine and a half percent of our salary each year will go to superannuation so that it provides for our retirement after 60 um and obviously they've made this availability to draw money out i think it just has to be an absolute last resort like if you've you know you're under severe financial stress maybe you're being forced to sell your home or you know you've got credit card debt and assets are being um, repossess, whatever it may be. I, I just, I just think it has to be the last resort. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, I'd share the same view. I mean, yeah, look, arguably, superannuation, the the compulsory superannuation contributions aren't enough. Um, that's not the case for everyone. I know there's different different views on that. So yeah, as a general comment, if you can afford not to take it out, um, ideally you'd have it in in superannuation um you know in a tax concessionally taxed environment and, and let that grow um did, did you glenn did you have any figures around that around the yeah so i mean there's, been, there's a few different stats floating around depending on your age and so forth but um there, there was some calculations done by industry super 
which basically said that the average 30-year-old who withdrew, so the full 20,000, so they pulled the 10,000 out before 30th of June and then another 10,000 out after 1 July. So if they withdrew the full 20,000 in, in this year, so in 2020, um, could have almost $100,000 less in savings by the time they retire. So look, it, it is pretty substantial. And obviously that, if you're younger than that, the implications are even greater. So if you, if you were 25 years of age, um, and you did that, you, you could be looking at a couple of hundred thousand dollars impact to the to the bottom line of your superannuation balance by the time you retire. So, I think anything that you do with regards to super, you, you want to be considering the long term implications of it as well. Um, there was a bit of talk about people looking to take out the money under the um, under the scheme, yeah, and yeah. then put it back into superannuation. Um, looking to make use of a of a tax deduction in terms of putting it in putting it back in yeah um, it's a bit of a loop goes against, isn't it? I, I don't think it was the intention of the the rule to enable people to do that but and it's probably not something that i would I, i'm not going to say i wouldn't recommend it but I, yeah as i said I, I don't think it was the intention of the law to be able to do that but i mean for like those when it goes against the spirit and, and i think the atl basically said on record they're going to look at it really closely like they almost want want to you know catch someone doing it so I, i'd be very careful if, if anyone was looking to do it i'd i'd if it was a client of mine i'd be telling him not to do it Sim- simple as that yeah and, and just just to provide a bit, of clarity, a bit of clarity for our listeners as to what that strategy is i mean obviously we've spoken about the eligibility to withdraw money one thing we haven't spoken about is the tax implications and drawing it out um and it is tax-free and normally in order to withdraw money out of superannuation tax-free, you have to be over 60. So one of the added benefits of this early release is that you can draw that money out tax-free. So a strategy that's sort of been banded about, it has actually been in the press a little bit as well, is that eligible people that, you know, perhaps, let's just say you're self-employed, your income's fallen 30%, you could arguably withdraw $30,000 of your super and then recontribute it and claim a tax deduction for up to $25,000. So and, and, you know, you could get a tax benefit of $5,000 from that. So th- that's, I suppose, what people have bandied around. We're not saying that we advocate it. You definitely want to seek advice. But as you were saying, Nathan, I think the, the, the ATO has pretty much said, look, something in the spirit of the, of the law and they're going to be looking at that very closely. Yeah, it's, yeah. G- generally speaking, these things get eradicated pretty quickly. If it's um, going, yeah, against the spirit, like a bit of a loophole, the... Um, yeah, they'll come down on that pretty hard. So um, time will tell. Is, is it fair Any to say other? that you and I both agree that really it should be the last resort, the last option that you exhaust before you start looking at your superannuation? Yeah, it obviously depends. Like there's a few variables in that question. It obviously depends. Like you don't want somebody going out and getting a, a loan paying 20% interest on it. Um, but yeah, look, ideally in a perfect world, if you could avoid it, Yes. You know what? You want that money in, in super. You know, if you're unemployed, you're not getting income, you know, job keeper's not enough, you're, you're, at, you're under financial stress, maybe your house is on the line. Yeah, maybe you want to look at every single option um, available to you to, to, to ease that financial pressure. But I think, yeah, what we're saying is that you, you don't just want to do it if you're suffering, you know, some short-term financial stress. You really want to use that as a last resort. Um, but the one question I was going to ask is that if you do it, if you pull the two, if 
you know, someone's pulled out the 20, the 10 grand and maybe thinking about pulling out the other 10 grand. So they've sort of gone against our advice and done it and they've already got the money in the bank. What would you suggest they do with it? Should they go out and have a bit of a, you know, plan a trip to the year ahead or <laughs> what, do, what do you think they should be doing with that money? Um, oh, you'd probably, I'd like to think the sensible thing to say here is to, um, put it aside to help with your loan repayments, for example, something like that to help put food on the table if, if, um, if there are things you're struggling with. But yeah, you think the essential, you know, we, we, when we say essential, you know, food, clothing, debt repayment, um, anything kind of further than that is maybe, maybe not uh, an absolute necessity. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I would agree. I mean, I think if someone's already done it, the things you'd want to be prioritizing is repaying that high cost debt. So credit cards and interest rates, north of 20%, personal loans, um, and then maybe any other debt that even though interest rates are quite low, that's what you want to, what you want to be prioritising, like car loans, credit cards, all those sorts of things. Um, it's not something that you want to use as a bit of a bonus to bring forward some expenditure, that's for sure. Because <laughs> the other thing that we haven't touched on, Nathan, is that depending on what stage of life you're at, but if you're sort of middle-aged or, or getting closer to retirement, if you pull that money out, there's, there's actually restrictions on how to get it back in again as well, isn't there? I mean, we've already we've spoken about a few times on this podcast how, how great superannuation is as a retirement vehicle and so forth. But sometimes when you pull money out, you might not be able to get it back in again. Mm. You know, the $100,000 concessional caps and so forth. So, yeah, you need to take all those things into account. Yep, exactly. Glenn, what do you think the, um, the big superannuation funds think about this scheme uh look how hate being a skeptic but i, I don't think they'd be loving it <laughs> i mean how much did you say seven billion dollars has been drawn out um we don't know i mean i don't know what the breakdown of that is versus pulling money out of self-managed super or industry funds but you would argue that if you look at where the majority of unemployment is you, you're looking at the hospitality industry tourism retail um and a lot of those employees are probably members of industry superannuation funds. Um, so they're the ones who are probably most likely to be eligible. So I don't think the industry super funds would be too happy that, you know, large chunks of money are being drawn out of the fund. And, and I suppose that leads to another topic that's worth discussion is um, the fact that a lot of these industry funds are actually having issues funding the withdrawals, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah, look, it's been... Um... It's been getting a few headlines because uh, there has been, I guess, in the in the superannuation funds defence, um, it probably is somewhat unexpected because they, you know, they would have their modelling, um, they would understand their members' ages, and then all of a sudden, there's um, something's happened, and there's a big need for their members to withdraw money early. So, um, so yeah. So look, what one of the one of the big things that has come out of it is they might not be able to meet the liquidity in a fashion that they would ideally like to do. So in other words, they might not have enough cash um, within their, so for example, host plus balanced op, default balanced option, you know, might have X amount of cash, but if the members are asking for more than that, then they then they go and basically sell assets um, yeah. to fund that. And, and the, some of the questions being asked is, well, are these assets that they need to sell a liquid and if they need to sell them, are they going to be able to sell them in a, in a timely fashion? Is that your understanding, Glenn? Yeah. And look, there's been a, a fair bit of press coverage about this and, and you're right. I mean, a lot of the, um, 
well, not just industry funds, I suppose, a lot of pension schemes around the world um, ha invest in a lot of unlisted type assets. So we're talking, you know, private equity, um, we're talking infrastructure like roads, airports, rail, um, property, so direct property. And, and these assets you can't sell overnight. So, I mean, essentially what we've seen with this early release scheme is the government saying people can draw money out. Um, and, you know, it, it's very difficult for these funds to satisfy those withdrawals when they own assets that just can't be sold overnight. Um, and we, we saw, I think Hester tried to sell, you know, $1.5 billion property portfolio. I mean, they need to find a buyer for that. Um, and whether it's private equity and things like that, that's where quite often having unlisted assets has probably worked to their advantage because the performance has been quite good. Um, they're not subject to the same volatility as perhaps listed assets are. But in situations like this, where you need liquidity, they might be forced to sell those assets at a discount. Um, so that may not be in the short-term interest of their, mem of their members with remaining funds um, either. So there's a lot of implications around this, isn't there? And I think it's probably brought to the surface the fact that a lot of these funds do have a lot of unlisted assets and illiquid type assets that a lot of the members probably weren't even familiar with. And it's only now that they're becoming aware of the strategies that are being implemented by a lot of these funds. Mm. Yeah, it's always a little bit of a challenge when um, like you're a, you're a member in a super fund with um, thousands of other members and if certain, a certain set of circumstances are uh, in, impacting you. So like, for example, what I mean by that is you could be the one of the members in the fund that doesn't need access to the money, but um, because of thousands of other members maybe needing to take money out, it's forcing the manager to, to do, to do certain things such as sell a property portfolio, like you just mentioned. So um, it probably does highlight, you know, some of the, you know, some of the challenges that can occur if you invest in, the unitized type structure um, where you don't have complete control um, over your, over your portfolio where, you know, for example, if you're, if you're in control of your super fund, say if it's a self-managed super fund and you look after it yourself and you know, if you know that you need to take out $10,000, well, you know exactly the assets that you've got, whether you've got cash, whether you've got shares, whether you've got whatever it might be. So you probably have a little, little bit, a little bit more control over that decision. Yeah. And I suppose you don't need liquidity until you need it, do you? I mean, it's, and that's where, as you were saying before, I mean, a lot of the industry funds, their average member base or the average age of their members is probably quite low, in particular, some of those funds that have, you know, a lot of exposure to retail employees and so forth. They've probably got very young um, members. So they're saying, well, we can take a 20, 30 year view here because, you know, they're not going to need access to their funds over that time frame, And then they've had something like this lumped on them. So it's not easy for them to satisfy that. But I think if anything, what it does perhaps is, provide everyone with a little bit of education as to what's in their fund and probably brings to the service the fact that most people should pay a little bit more attention to what's in their fund as well. Sure. I didn't really have too much else to cover on this, Glenn. Any final, final comments? Look, not really. I, I just think that like we'd always say, if, if it's something that you're considering, just seek advice because you know, you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing and not, you're not, not sort of impacting your long-term future too much. So, Definitely suggest people seek advice. As we've said, use it as a last resort. Um, and, and if you do do it, just make sure you're focusing on, um, you know, prioritising the repayment of high interest debt, not sort of bring forward other sort of 
you know, lifestyle expenditure. No worries, Glenn. Well, that was a pretty good wrap there. So we'll final, we'll, we'll close it off there. And thank you, everybody, for listening again. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors' website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.